know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of Anglo Fees, where we are going to be considerably more cheerful than we were last month. Not because the world is better, just because we're determined to be more cheerful. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And uh, this month we are talking about the depiction of royals in the media, which if you think, hey, was this brought on by Netflix The Crown? You would be correct. That is exactly what happened. And you would know us so well. You would know us so well. Yay! So, Alina and I have watched The Crown. Kaylee, did you watch it? I saw some of it. Okay. It's really hard to wrangle control of the TV away from the Walking Dead fans, although they are now currently watching Outlander. <laughs> Which could end horrendously. It could end horrendously, yes. <laughs> but the Scottish Tourism Board thanks you. I'm pretty sure. Well, they're going to thank me. Anyway. Yeah, they'll, they'll be more thankful of the, the Americans, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happy to oblige. Next fall. <laughs> yes, so The Crown is... Um, oh, who the fuck is the showrunner? It's the guy who did The Queen. Stephen Daldry. Yes, him. Is a, sh- a planned show about the entirety of Elizabeth's reign... So right now they have like six seasons planned. Who knows? They might have to go for seven or eight. Peter Morgan apparently created but and written by. Yeah. Well, Stephen Daldry's directed it, but Peter Morgan, ah. who did make the Queen, uh, it's pretty much the the joining of the uh, the British prestige. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Julian Fellows is, I'm sure, very very sad he's not involved. Very sad. Quietly waiting by the phone. <laughs> yep. Yeah, now, Go Fug Yourself has been doing recaps, and I believe they have caught up through the end of season one at this point. And the, the Go Fug Yourself recaps are really very interesting, because they do screenshots and discuss what's happening, kind of the the meta-narrative, and also the clothes and the decorations, and sometimes you get screencaps that are like, I, nothing really interesting is happening here, I just wanted to take a look at these built-in bookshelves in Elizabeth's office, which is legit. Those are some serious fucking built-ins. <laughs> is this what happens Mary's... when you spend a hundred million dollars on one TV show? Yes. One season of a TV show, I should say. It. Yes, they spent that money real well. It looks great. It's a Netflix season, so it's ten hour-long episodes. Yep. With Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth II, Matt Smith as Philip, the oh. Duke of Edinburgh. You mean as Odo from Deep Space Nine? <laughs> Ouch! I, it's the blonde hair and the way they style him for this. It's... Yeah, and he, I think he was perfectly cast. And in casting, that made me go really at the beginning, and then was like totally on board. John Lithgow as Winston Churchill. It's... 
I've been thinking about how I get that it's a total cliche to give the the man playing this serious historical figure an award, but give John Lithgow all the awards. Oh my goodness. Yes. Considering how many people have played Winston Churchill and how many people are about to play Winston Churchill, Gary Oldman is famously about to do it for the Joe Wright movie. It's a really easy role to just go full jowly on. And even great actors can't do it. They've done it really bad. If anyone's seen the King's Speech when Timothy Spall pops up playing him and it's just terrible. Yeah, fortunately, so I think, it's not that much that involved. Yeah, but just here, like, from the, what I have seen of the show, I haven't watched all of the episodes, it's really well-developed and just, it's not mimicry, although there are points where it's clear these kind of watch a lot of documentaries and thought, well, I've got to do this and this. But even then, it's remarkably restrained for such a, a character. Yeah, and this is a a Churchill that we haven't seen a lot of. There's been a lot of Churchill as the leader in World War II. This is Churchill in the 50s um, yes. sort of bringing the country out of the rationing and into the post-war prosperity era. But he's also, he's old and he's breaking down and it, this is very much an old man desperately trying to hold on to his career and his relevance and slowly realizing that he can't do it and that it's time to step aside for Anthony Eden, who apparently did shit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they allow him to not be Churchill the greatest man ever, which is what even you know really good depictions tend to do because they're so focused on Churchill as leader of World War II. Yeah. So you don't tend to get a whole lot of, like, Churchill when he was Prime Minister in the 50s and was in charge of an incredibly shitty economics policy. Or, or Churchill pre-war, where he used to be an MP in Dundee and he was hated up here because he basically got parachuted into a seat so that he could get into Parliament, which is not an uncommon practice. But you don't really get to see him as being the guy who got increasingly shit at his job or the narcissism that he was mm -hmm. very well known for. During World War II, while the rest of the country was on rations, he had a chicken dinner and a bottle of champagne for dinner every night. Yeah. Oh. And boy, does it show <laughs> John Lithgow yeah. in this show. It's interesting how much Churchill was in this show, although I kind of get it because uh, a lot of, and, and the show kind of makes this almost a thesis, a lot of, Elizabeth, especially her early reign, is kind of about being not there as opposed to being any kind of active leader. She's she's not supposed to be. That's not what constitutional monarchy is about. So there's a lot of Churchill in the show, and it's very... kind of delves into his human portrayal. You know, yes, he's, what an autocrat he was and how he was trying to hold on to power, but then how he seemed sincerely touched by when people also sincerely noticed him. Like when she gives a speech, uh, was mm -hmm. it episode 9 or 10... When he finally retires. When he's and... stepping down and she gives him basically a thank you speech. And he's honestly like, he's all choked up. And this is not long after she gives him the greatest, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed speech. In which she's sitting there basically going, look, you... You didn't give me the information I needed to do my job, so I can't help you do yours. And, like, I get it, but also we can't function like this. And he's standing there, head down, lip trembling, like he's going to cry. <laughs> it's great. I, I remember even after the first episode, 
my impression was, well, you know, if this is anywhere near how things really went, after Churchill was her first, how unimpressed must Elizabeth have been with anybody else who followed? Mm-hmm. Like, you think you're going to walk in there and impress or intimidate the queen? Please. Right. Please, She Tony cut her Blair. teeth on Churchill. David Come Cameron, on. please. There's no Cameron anymore. It's Theresa May. Mm. She can show off her cool shoes, if nothing else. Yeah, well. Okay, yes. so I have a question to ask the two non-Brits in the room yep. about this. Mm-hmm. How does this show play to you, knowing the current cultural context of the British royal family and the massive discrepancies in class and wealth that we currently live in because about a week after this show came out here it was revealed the sheer amount of money that the royal well the queen in particular was getting as like a raise in her allowance while massive cuts are being made to people on disabilities or the unemployed and buckingham palace is about to get a 300 million dollar renovation which okay on the latter issue i will say that place needs it yeah. And it is a place of historical importance and it shouldn't be allowed to crumble into the ground. I, I'm, I'm in favour of saving that. But I, I'm always incredibly conflicted doing the whole, well, and particularly when the defence says, oh, well, they bring in tourists. And it's like, well, France beheaded all of their um, royals. They're, they're doing okay for tourists. Or, you know, well, America may not be so great in the coming years for tourism. But, you know. It, it's yeah, just something but, okay, I think we have like millions of acres of national parks and also New York City, so we don't need royals. No, you guys have Hamilton. <clears throat> we have Hamilton, so we're fine. We're getting it next year, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm interested in that just because I've mentioned it on the show before. I am in favor of dismantling the monarchy, but I still spend lots of time on Go Fug Yourself going, oh, tiaras and dresses and all their kids are really pretty. <laughs> But but it's like you're a person who is multi-layered and has different... Nuance and shit, yeah. Nuance and shit. I know that's not allowed anymore, but here we are. (laughs) I mean, I think when it comes to the Buckingham Palace issue, that, yes, the place needs it, and as I understand it, the government has been kind of reluctant to allocate money for repairs that would have saved money in the long run and not presented this dire need. So it's one of those things of, like, if you'd spent a little bit of money before, you would have saved money in the long run, but no one wants to do that, and that's why insurance costs suck so much. I may be projecting. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I guess in terms of what is it like to watch this show when you're as your your country or culture does not have a consistent generations long um almost you know incredibly fractured occasionally deified relations with the unelected head of state that Actually, gets hundreds of millions spent on them I think I'm in a little weird? bit of a even a unique position with respect to that and actually very different from Raiden's because there's two points of view I can approach this from. And for one thing, as a Canadian, technically, Queen Elizabeth is the head of my government. So I have a tenuous... Now, our taxes don't go towards it the way yours do, but there is that tenuous connection. And I always found it, personally, very charming. Let's say my passport says, like, this is a subject of a queen and all those things. And the other... Because the point of view I can approach this from, as a Russian, I have this 
pet theory and my personal belief is that Russia would have done really well as a constitutional monarchy and he didn't move towards that fast enough because fuck Nicholas Nicholas was a horrible sorry, emperor he was, he was bad he was bad at the job <laughs> stop it you're bad at it I do think that to the Russian sensibility that kind of old fashioned idea of the father tsar and that person in charge, the symbol, would have been like a psychologically calming influence that would have allowed for more reasoned elections of prime ministers or whatever we would have called them. So I'm not opposed to that system in general. And I could see where the, something similar might be at work in the United Kingdom. And I'm not saying that, you know, their current allowances or anything like that are reasonable or don't need to be rethought, but... I'm 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 okay with it existing as a system. Okay. Since this literally has no effect on me whatsoever, I don't have to think about it too much. It's just pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I I I find the whole concept. I mean, I, I do medieval re- recreation. I I have a fake king and queen that I look to. I I find the whole history fascinating and kind of watching how it sort of works or doesn't in the modern world has been you know (laughs) academically fascinating which you know maybe that sounds kind of rude and it kind of is but that's kind of where I am well that's thing is I find all of this stuff historically really fascinating there's you know where there are royals there is really fascinating history you can look at any royal family around the world for stuff mm-hmm. like that, even um, some of the, the smaller countries. So, like, looking at that is, is very interesting to me, and maybe it's also because we've had a, re- a real glut recently over the past few years of stories about the current generation of royals, or the previous generation coming into the current generation. Mm-hmm. And they're almost always stories of, you know, nobility and the the conflicts of duty and st- the stiff upper lip British um, thing that I hate. Like, I don't think we should be proud of the fact that we hide our emotions, guys. It kind of sucks. Mm. <laughs> so which has just been this sort of strange um, influx of them. And also when you combine that with stuff that we've had, like like Downton Abbey and the work of Julian Fellows and that almost hearkening back to the early 20s and 30s days of entertainment where it was all about the kind of follies of the upper class and that was our escape from the, the crushing of um, fear and anxieties of the Depression. Mm-hmm. And you can draw you know comparisons with what our political and economic system is like now. It just it seems like a story we hear a lot during times where, you know, it's it's almost like escapism. But yeah, it's they they have the illusion of heft because mm-hmm. this is serious drama. We're not just watching this because the bookshelves and the crowns are nice, but we totally are. Well, we are we are a little bit, and I think that certainly. There are certain facets of the American presidency that that might actually do okay if we had some sort of ceremonial head to handle, like, the bridge openings and shit. And some of the stuff the president gets to do, like, I know that Obama loves the turkey pardon. The turkey pardon is a lot of fun. He's, he got to do all the dad jokes. <laughs> But, like, you have a whole separate branch of royals who can do all of this charity work and 
unveil plaques and things, leaving the prime minister to fuck things up. So, I mean, I guess sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Again, with the nuance. (laughs) Remember when... How, I don't remember how many years ago it was now, t- 10, when uh, Bill Clinton had to fly in and rescue these reporters from North... Well, there was like an exchange in the reporters who got caught in North Korea, and they negotiated their release. Remember? And they had to send somebody who like wasn't a cur- currently involved with the government, but also was somehow ranking enough or important enough where it wouldn't be a slight... And I b- believe they ended up sending Bill Clinton. So, like, the ex, a, a former president was decided to be, like, the appropriate person. Vaguely. The North Korea case, yeah. 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 But imagine, so when you're talking about, like, we need, you know, a monarch kind of, like, yeah. If, we need if, some sort of ceremonial head right. to handle some of this random shit. And, I mean, it's been discussed before, but... Like, just the thought of America and monarchy, and then George Washington starts spinning in his grave. And, you know, if we could harness that, we would solve our energy crisis. Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty. It's shiny. Sometimes it's pretty. Sometimes you get rain. (laughs) Do we want to talk about the pretty again? Well, I actually have a lot of thoughts about it. I was re-watching, like, kind of doing a spot rewatch last night in preparation for the episode, and I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. I noticed some very distinct plot similarities between this and the movie Young Victoria mm-hmm. uh, with Emily Blunt. And I wonder if because the story was really similar enough, did it just worked out that way? Or maybe there's just a certain now almost like a cliche or trope in portrayals of a young female monarch that that make for, like, good enough TV and movies that every movie maker now then will go to. Specifically, there was that conflict between the young queen and then her husband feeling emasculated, like he has nothing to do and trying to find his own place in this government. So with Victoria, it had Albert going around the then kind of new Buckingham Palace, but there was still a lot of traditions being done, like some dinner that was being put on for a guard for a king. Like, who had been who, dead who, like three kings ago. Yeah, three kings ago. So he went around and started modernizing. And then we have, in The Crown, we have Philip wanting to film the coronation. And I understand that it's that it's a trope. Com- it comes up also in any American TV that um, has a... A woman president, well, what's the first gentleman going to do? It's a woman's job. So it's not surprising, but just the similarity with how it was handled was one of the things that struck me. And I guess I, ma- I imagine it is similar in that both Elizabeth and Victoria were very young when they were invested. So there's kind of like the education of a young woman to become a queen. But it, it really was kind of rehashing those same plot lines. I think that you see the rehashing of those plot lines because that's kind of what happened. Like Albert finding out of like going around Buckingham palace and being a little bit at loose ends and seeing things that desperately needed modernization was, was what he did. And also it was a super German thing for him to do. <laughs> Philip, like I found Philip in the crown to be properly frustrating because it was like, oh my god, dude, you knew that she 
was mm-hmm. the heir presumptive when you married her. You knew that you were going to be the consort when it got started. I know this happened a lot sooner than you were hoping, but uh, it's not like you didn't know what the tin said when you opened it. Philip in the show is so... like From the very first scene, the show opens with King George making Philip... I guess like, he, he signs off, essentially, in preparation for marrying Elizabeth. He has to sign away his foreign uh, citizenships of Greece and Denmark, I guess. Uh, or maybe just Greece. I don't remember specifically what it was. Greece, Greece and Denmark, yeah. And and then become a, an English duke. And, and then you get a scene between Philip and Elizabeth. And he's just so kind of mean to her, essentially. <laughs> He's really, so he he is a very frustrating character, and you do and I agree with you. It gets to a point where it's like, look, if you really didn't want to be, you know, the husband of the queen, then maybe you shouldn't have married her. But you did, so suck it up, Buttercup. I was actually surprised by how willing they were to just have him be kind of a dick on that front, and also really racist. I was worried they were going to kind of play down nope. the fact that he's a <laughs> notorious racist and they didn't because um he's got a birthday coming up soon and there's a an, a special i think it's on itv where it's like the you know the many years and the wit and wisdom of prince philip and it's like are you really just gonna ignore like the fact that he's insulted basically every culture and race on the planet are we gonna do that and they don't they don't hide it here and i was i was quite pleased with that yeah I, that I was delighted to see it but there's a moment where he makes a comment about nice hat, I think it is. Yeah. And the to look a, he gets in return. To an African is... king. And Elizabeth's yeah. like, that's a crown. He's the king. And, and he, the and look Philip's that he like, gives oh. is. <laughs> yeah. It's the patented this bitch look. It's, it's the perfect. second episode. Yeah, the, the trip to Africa. Yeah. It's part of their, mm-hmm. you know, royal trip around the world, around the Commonwealth, I guess they do. And oh, that episode, like, they definitely didn't want to paper over the attitudes of both the time and those specific people, but I think they really also really wanted to get out of there. <laughs> the show, I mean, like, it's just... Yeah. Although they do spend time where she's giving a speech about how when how this used to be a savage land and now it's totally been civilized. Mm-hmm. And you, the show is like, this is super awkward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Super awkward. You're supposed to feel awkward about this. But I don't know that the show succeeds in being self-aware enough because then there's still that like lingering shot of the African king looking after the plane when it takes off in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, about? The, the fun girls were like... Uh, and the kissing of-, of the shoes after she... After, I don't know, maybe that was a really thing that really happened, but I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, I think the Fug Girls were like, I think this is supposed to be, like, the African king whose name I did not catch. Did they even say what it was? I'm not sure. Um, So I feel bad just saying, you know, the African king. They were in Kenya. So the Kenyan king. But it wouldn't have been, like, I think it would have been Kenya, Kenya. It would have been a specific people. Yeah. Um, Just digging myself in deeper anyway that that they were trying to give a parallel of he has sympathy for the fact that that she is now queen and they're they both are bound by the same duty 
Mm-hmm. And felt like that's kind of where they were going, but it wasn't clear. Maybe that they were going for. Mm-hmm. I thought that they handled the scene where Philip tells her that her father died really well. Especially considering he, we don't actually see him tell her. We just see them share a look. And yeah. she just knows something, like, you know, she knows something's yeah. wrong and she keeps hoping it's not the worst and she can just tell by looking at his face that no, it's the worst. It, it really is, yeah. Do we want to talk about the the awkwardness of how this show handled Edward? Because I am i don't know what to think about their choices with regards to the Duke of Windsor. What was it about it that you, you feel uneasy so, about? I feel, and again, I, I don't want to assume like that our listeners know everything. So we're talking about the abdicate her uh, Elizabeth's uncle, who was Edward VII, who married Wallace Simpson and abdicated. No, he abdicated first, then married her. He couldn't marry her until he abdicated. Right. I'm just saying there was an order of operations. That's and it was important, Nerd. and it was kind of the reason. <laughs> and he's uh, he's in a few of the episodes, and aside from the whole abdication story. Edward and Wallace were horrible people who were horrible racist Nazi sympathizers. And yet the show chooses to show him as a kind of almost sympathetic figure. like Almost, oh, but not really. But then they, because it interests I, I think they were going for nuance and just kind of came off as muddled. Because, yeah, because they tried to write him as, no, he does understand what Elizabeth is going through. And he's, they show her turning to him for advice. And I remember reading uh, some review that said, like, that's kind of ridiculous. She never would have. But here's like, oh, no, uncle, you're the only one who'd understand because you were king for all the six months or whatever, how long, Mm. however long he was king. And it shows him also being nostalgic um, and like almost regretting giving part of it up even though his rhetoric is always like oh no love I did it for love and the love of of my wife is the most important thing in the world but then they intersperse it with what I'm assuming are quotes from his real letters that he wrote where he loathes his family yeah that's pretty accurate actually so it's all but they try so the camera tries to tell me that the moment between and his name wasn't Edward, that was his regnal name, so David. David and his mother is, like, a moment of genuine connection. And then we have real-life letter about, like, oh, thank God that bitch is dead. I mean, look, I know people from fucked-up families who would do the same thing, so... And this family is fucked up. I guess, but it didn't work for me. And maybe it's just me also, like, I really do not care to have David and Wallace humanized to me. Because mm-hmm. they can go fuck themselves, so... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting that like we don't tend to get that many stories of Edward. They tend to be uh the dramas we do get either he is a side character in the George the Sixth show, like the King's mm-hmm. Speech, where he appears uh he's played by Guy Pierce and he's in it for like two scenes. Yeah. Or you get the dramatizations of the romance and it is played out as like the great romance for the ages, you know? Mm-hmm. There was um the Madonna, Madonna one. W. Yeah. Oh, I'll get to that in a second. I will get to that okay. in a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there was Sorry. one called, I think it's called Edward and Wallace. And it's a, basically the, the beginning of the romance and then leading up to the abdication. And it's got, I think it's Jolie Richardson in it. And 
I remember thinking it was pretty good, but it is that thing is it's clearly looking at this as, oh, I've got duty, but I've also got love, and you don't really get to see them being the kind of entitled rich bastards that they were. And they were really entitled. Like, if you read not just the letters, there's a wonderful bio- biography of Wallace Simpson called That Woman by Anne Sebi. And it talks about once they once he'd abdicated and they married and they kind of got pushed into a cushy job and I think it was, Bar- was it Bar- Barbados or the Bahamas? Bahamas. And just how they were so contemptuous of all of the, the, the locals there and were really just kind of constantly hitting up their family for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really see that in these kind of stories. Yeah, Wallace and Edward it's called and um, Edward's played by Stephen Campbell Moore. But there's so much of the story is basically, isn't this the greatest love story of all time? And the person who did that worst was Madonna. How many people here have seen W.E.? I've seen a review. <laughs> I love James Darcy, but I can't. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Okay, so here's the thing about this movie. Other than it's terrible, um, it's catastrophically bad. I I consider it to be the worst film I've ever seen. Wow. Because that is seen a thing. Yes. I have seen Michael Bay movies. I have seen you know straight to DVD Hellraiser sequels. I have seen. Lots and lots of terrible movies. I consider this to be the worst movie I've ever seen. Because you can see how much this story means to Madonna, but only in terms of pure vanity. And you can also see the effort put into the clothes, the sets, the jewellery. Like, they have full recreations of her jewellery collection. And if you've seen her jewellery collection, it's amazing. The the music is really good. And it's got these good performances in it. But if you're going to make propaganda you damn well better make sure you make good propaganda Mm. there is no sloppy propaganda it's just you know there's no excuse for that but the whole problem this story is as well is it's divided into two you have the story of Wallace and Edward and then there's this modern day like parallel we have a character called Wally Winthrop played by Abby Cornish and she's a dissatisfied housewife in the 90s in New York with her doctor husband who beats the crap out of her and she becomes obsessed with Wallace Simpson because there's an auction going on at the auction house she used to work at which is Sotheby's I believe and then she meets Oscar Isaac and falls in love with him and he's wearing a kilt for some reason this also came out the same year as Sucker Punch bad year to be Oscar Isaac every other year since has been great but not this one so you have Oscar these Isaac was in Sucker Punch yeah Sorry, he's one of the really creepy doctors and Abby Cornish they were both orderly Yes, wow. they are. <laughs> Bad year for both of them. So the problem with the movie is basically she is the window into the Wallace Simpson story. And what I think Madonna is trying to do... Other than is, win an Oscar. Other than win an Oscar. But what I think she's trying to do is position that story as fantasy. As this woman's fantasy. In a way, a way for her to escape her own life. The problem is she then starts fucking with history. There's a moment where the Wally character, Abby Cornish, goes to dinner with friends and is telling them all about Wallace Simpson. And one of them says, weren't they Nazis? And she went, oh, no, that was propaganda spread by the British government. It was all lies. And it was like, no, no. Okay, you can argue that, yes, all of the upper class at the time were pro-Nazi to a point in the early 30s. You would be right. They continued to be pretty sufficiently pro-Nazi during the 30s. And then continued to be really racist after that with just about everyone else. This is not 
propaganda. We we know this to be true. You can look this up. It takes you twenty seconds of googling to find the the slurs, to find the way that they visit. I believe they visited a concentration camp at one point. I will Google it now to tell you because I know how to do research, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> There, it's there's an entire segment on Wikipedia called Second World War under Edward VIII, and you could have looked at that Madonna and you didn't. Look, there's a picture of them meeting Hitler. You in 1937. <clears throat> so that's one of the main problems with the story. There's also a point where they play footage of um, the king's funeral, and they says, um, "Well, was um, well wishers poured in today to pay respects to King George the Third." What? Nope. Nope. You mean the fifth, not the third. Time travel. That, that, was, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. That made it into the final cut of the movie, you guys. Oh. No. There is also a scene in the movie, and clearly this scene happened because I will tell you what the scene is. Wallace and Edward are at a party, one of their cool, you know, shindigs. There are black dancers there, just to prove that they're not racist. And they're getting high on laudanum and alcohol, and they start dancing, and the song that plays is Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols. Now, this scene happened for one reason, and I this is how I imagine it happened. This is Madonna. Oh my god, you guys, I just saw this amazing film. It's called Marie Antoinette, and they all dance around to modern songs. We should do that in our movie. That's when Madonna was English. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Yes. Madge. 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 Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. So the, when the movie ends, the, you get this scene where there's almost a hint that of, of self-awareness that actually Wally's well, like, well, maybe their relationship wasn't perfect. But they still loved each other dearly. And then she meets Wallace Simpson as like this apparition that appears to her and gives her a kiss and tells her to... You go live your life and you go have Oscar Isaac's baby because he's Oscar Isaac and he's awesome. And he's going to be in Star Wars one day. That's a good investment, darling. <laughs> and then they walk off. Legit. Also, the secret hero of this movie is Muhammad Al-Fayed. <laughs> because who was um, the guy that owns Harrods, whose son was in a relationship with Princess Diana when they both died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a really creepy statue of the pair of them in Harrods that I will send you a picture of. He was basically the guy that owned all of the Edward and Wallace collection. He was one that auctioned it off. And Wally, for some reason, manages to arrange a meeting with Muhammad Al-Fayed and say, oh, I just love her so much and the world doesn't understand her. Can I, like, touch all of this stuff for a while? And he's like, of course, darling. And I'll re- let you read all of these private letters I haven't let anyone else seen before because reasons. It is the most bizarre movie and it is a total shit show. And I'm going to show you pictures of that really creepy statue, you guys. <laughs> this isn't Harrods, by the way. Oh, man. Is that bird supposed to be, what, a goose? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a dove, but I don't know. <laughs> Look at the wings on that dove! Because oh it's love! Or something. I-, I love how he portrayed his son as, like, not shirtless, but with the shirt, but with the open chest shirt. At least it's not tucked into his pants. <laughs> oh, it's just... And, and honestly, that... Wow. And then, anyways, that statue reminds me a lot of W.E. It's tacky. It is so <laughs> tacky. Also, Madonna doesn't know how to block a basic shot. Like, I've never been a filmmaker. I've never trained as a filmmaker. But I know how to block a basic shot. And she can't do it. 
So like if you want a bad movie night, I actually I probably wouldn't recommend this. It's not even fun. But it is very good. Let's get Raiden and Alina drunk and get them pointing out all of the historical inconsistencies and propaganda of this nonsense movie. Okay. And also, um, Queen Mother is played by Natalie Dormer. And she has one scene where she puts on hats evilly. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, if you need somebody to put on a hat evilly, you get Natalie Dormer. That's just, <laughs> you know, fact. It's such a bad script as well. Like, it's such, it's so incompetent on a basic level. People talk like lines that have been copied and pasted out of Wikipedia. But it probably wasn't Wikipedia, because that would have counted as research. (laughs) It's just bizarre. And honestly, I would have thought that out of people in the world who could make a movie about the underlying pressures of fame and the double life of public and private persona and having to live up to the expectations of a divisive public i really feel like madonna would have been good at that mm-hmm. like that's been her entire career since like a virgin or even yeah. earlier than that there's a really wonderful episode of karina longworth so you must remember this podcast where she she does a two-parter on madonna the first one's about her time married to champagne and the second time is about her relationship with warren Beatty. it talks about her navigating the world of cinema and the way that she used her very um, controversial attention grabbing public image to kind of try and further herself as an icon mm-hmm. and that is a much better story than what Madonna is trying to do here and I can totally see why they would want to make this movie I can completely understand why I think the Weinsteins distributed it or they were gonna and then it just they probably saw the movie <laughs> <laughs> It's just very... And when the Weinsteins are like, we can't yeah. say this. Yeah, even the Weinsteins are <laughs> like, I can't cut you know you have fucked up. <laughs> very much. It is such a bizarre movie. Like, I'm all in favour of, like, celebrities pumping tons of money into weird vanity projects. Like, I have a huge soft spot for all the movies Angelina Jolie's directed. Because I don't mm-hmm. think they're necessarily good, but I think it's really clear that she just doesn't give a fuck what other people think. But here, it is... It's not even fun, it's just really sad and kind of offensive and gross. Mm. But with very pretty clothes. So, seeing that, and then seeing this episode of The Crown with Edward, it's like, well, honestly, they cannot do worse than that. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting choice to sort of frame the coronation episode around him and to view the coronation through his eyes. I thought that was an interesting choice and kind of, I I understood kind of what the thought was behind that. I don't know if it necessarily worked as well as they were kind of hoping. And then sad bagpipes. And then sad (laughs) bagpipes. And like, I can also understand the whole thought of, kind of needing some time to regret some of your your terrible choices you've made in your life. I'm just saying. And having some pathetically emo way to cope with that. It's some of us emo. make. Highland emo is just a whole different level of emo. <laughs> but I like the fact that he has a kilt in which he can do his Highland emo. <laughs> I think that's officially a part of the the royal wardrobe, to be honest. Right. See, he has a kilt, unlike some other Scotsman we could name. (laughs) (laughs) 
My dad has already apologized for that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I will say, the, what that episode of The Crown made me realise is how much I really want a story about the ways the British upper classes in the 20s and 30s completely pandered to and funded and were really amused by the rise of fascism. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just the royals. You can look at someone like Diana Mitford of the Mitford sisters who married Oswald Mosley, leader of the British Union of Fascists. You can look at her sister Unity who became one of Hitler's BFFs and then when war was declared she shot herself but didn't die for another six years. Yeah, it was pretty bad. You can look at like the women, like Mary Richardson, who were su- leaders in the suffragette movement, and then when women got the right to vote, went and became fascists. There's like all of these really fascinating stories, are, and I don't think we are willing or ready to tell those stories. And I think now more than ever, it would be really important to tell those stories. Because, you know, history, repeating it, learning your fucking history, stuff like that. But I would like to, I think that's one of the problems with. Um, Stories like this, when it comes to telling the royals, you do want to be complex and you want to put in the nuances and show that, well, they are human and they have these faults and stuff, but I think there is still a little bit of a distance to, well, we can't show too much of the whole sympathising with fascism thing. Even though that did happen. Right. So I would like to see that. If anyone wants to write that, go for it. I don't think we're going to be seeing it. I, I, honestly, I don't think a British filmmaker will make it. Unless Ken Loach wants to give it a go or something, that would be cool. Okay, there is one thing I would like to point out about the first episode of The Crown. Yeah. yeah. Really, the, that title of that episode should just be for your Emmy's consideration, Jared Harris. Oh, yeah, pretty much. That is a victory lap of an episode. And it's really great to watch. And also just George VI is getting a really good run for the past couple of years in terms of yeah. fiction stories. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> speeches kind of kind of started something there. Yeah. So I mentioned that I watched a Royal Night Out last night, which is a heavily fictionalized version of the kind of rumspriga that Elizabeth and Margaret went on on VE night. With good uh, use of rumspringa. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, in reality, they went out with a big group of people, including their nanny. And uh, Captain Peter Townsend, who we'll get to in a minute, (laughs) (laughs) who Margaret was linked to romantically, even though he was 30 and she was 14. Anyway, very awkward. Any more awkward than the fact that um, Prince Philip was, what, 19, 18 when he met Queen Elizabeth and she was 10? Yeah. And then at 13, she was like, yep, that's the one. That's the one. Let me just put um, a date on my calendar. Yep. Eight years eight years from now. <laughs> um, there, it's the second to last episode of The Crown where we see the, the guy that clearly the rest of the family would have preferred that she married, Porchy, mm-hmm. um, who's the Earl of something. And Philip is being all jealous that she's spending time with him because he is also involved in her racehorses, which we all know that Queen Elizabeth loves the ponies (laughs) a lot. Possibly more than her own children. Mm. And 
Philip gets all snitty. Like they have a great scene where they're having a knockdown drag out fight in the car and there's no audio. You just see them screaming at each other. Um, and then at the end of the episode, she gives him the speech where she's like, yes, yeah, no, Porchy's just a friend. He's always been a friend. And much to everyone's dismay and disappointment, the only one that I've ever loved is you. Can you look me in the eye and say the same? And he cannot. And she's like, I fucking thought so. And then she goes and bids farewell to Churchill. It, it's a great scene. Anyway, <laughs> back to a royal night out. Uh, Rupert Everett, I believe, plays King George. And, yeah. you know, he's a, it's a very minor part. It, it basically has George and the Queen Mother as the anxious parents waiting at home for their daughters who have severely broken curfew. <laughs> <laughs> and Belle Powley as Margaret is just delightful. It's a very light movie. And just sort of the the swarming masses of joyful humanity that we can have the lights on at night now. Yay! And Elizabeth going out among the people and she hooks up with this airman who she, they get sep- she gets separated from Margaret so she spends the night sort of trying to chase down Margaret and Margaret is off having lighthearted adventure- adventures and then getting super drunk and then ending up with a bunch of prostitutes. <laughs> As you do. As you do. And the guy who runs the brothel is like, holy shit, you RP2. Let me, you want to go to a party? You have the password to the super exclusive party? I will safely escort you there with some of my girls. Everything's going to be fine. It's the guy who was in V for Vendetta and has been in like literally everything since. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy from V for Vendetta. And I can never remember his name or anything else he's been in, but he was the guy who's the propagandist in V for <laughs> Which, by the way, Universe, was not a blueprint. It was a warning. Can we stop this? Please? Just asking. Man, it's been a weird month. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> back to happy, back to happy. <laughs> was it the same guy who was in The Queen? I think so. There are, oh, can we, before we go too far, I just looked at, because of, you know, there's only 10 British actors, the actor who played Edward VII in The Crown is the actor who plays Charles in The Queen. Yeah, which it's makes Alex it all... Jennings. Yep. He's also best known in Britain, well, one of the reasons he's best known in Britain is he plays Alan Bennett quite a bit. The playwright who wrote The History Boys and very famous kind of public speaker. Like, seriously, we only have, like, 16 actors and they all come from the same two schools and they all kind of look the same. But they're all getting royalties from Harry Potter so it's all good. Yep. Or Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> mm. It's still Harry Potter. It's a Harry Potter extended universe. Right. <laughs> the saga. God, Johnny Depp, why? Oh, I'm still why? mad about that. I don't even, I'm not even seeing the film and I'm mad about that. It's very pretty. Just saying, like... Back to Jared Harris. You should just cast him as Dumbledore, you guys. Yes, do that. Absolutely do that. Absolutely do that. Cast Jared Harris in, like, everything. I'm fine with that. And let him not die for once. For once, yes. Like, I'm still sad over the Mad Men. So, like, <laughs> I will say, I really like that they don't 
constantly rely on the the stutter for yeah. that role there because like i think that was how he was primarily defined even up to the king's speech it's like oh he was the one that stammered mm-hmm. and his daughter's queen so i'm glad that they didn't do that Although he does get some top-notch like distressed coughing scenes oh yeah sinister yeah. coughing scenes like oh we know what this means when someone coughs in a film they're gonna die don't yep. you feel like smoking really hangs heavy over the entire production of the crown Yes. Like ominous smoking. Oh, yes. <laughs> ominous smoking, but like everybody who you see smoking a lot died of lung cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Margaret, looking at you. Yep. Queen Mary, looking what at you. What were you thinking? Yeah, that's why if any of the royals smoke now, they have to they hide it a lot more. Mm-hmm. I also I liked the episode. I think it was the fourth episode with the great smog. Act of God. Yeah. Act of God. I thought I thought that was a really effective use of storytelling. Did we necessarily need a whole hour on the Great Smog of 1950-whatever? Maybe not. I will say but, this was what I found with these episodes, is there is so much history to cover, but there still feels like a, a decent amount of padding. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've they put in place, I think Peter Morgan's like, we're going to cover this period of history, which is 47 to 55, and then next we're going to do what happens after the 50s. Um, and then we're going to do like six seasons they want, so they they want to cover pretty much up till Diana's death, right? They want to go into the territory of the Queen, the movie. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like they were very set in what they wanted to do and are not so keen on diverging from that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're also trying to figure out exactly what people want from this show. Like, if it's just the, the straight-up bare-bones history, that's boring, because we have a lot of TV coverage of that. What people want is sort of the the ditchy interpersonal relationships, which the show does get into more in the back half of the season. Uh Like, they really get into Margaret and Townsend and what all of that ended up meaning for the Queen and the Royal Family. I feel like they slightly overextended with that, because not all of the not all of it worked for me. Now, they, they had to dramatize a lot because my under- in the show, when they tell... Um, the problem, for those who don't have Wikipedia at their fingertips right now, is that Peter Townsend was married and divorced by his wife. Now, sh- the wife was the guilty party because this was at the time when divorces still had mm-hmm. a guilty... Like, you know, somebody suing for divorce in the guilty party. Uh, but still, he was a divorced person, which meant that Margaret, as uh, a royal person, couldn't marry him, especially considering because the Church of England uh, doesn't allow the remarriage of divorced persons with living ex-spouses. Yep. And, I mean, the the Edward VII scandal, you know, just happened at that point in time. So they ask Margaret to wait two years until she turns 25, at which point she doesn't need Elizabeth's permission. And... My understanding is in that real, they do it, especially the Queen Mother does it in hopes that the romance will cool off on its own. And my understanding is in real life, it really did kind of fizzle. It did fizzle. They found in documents that were released in the mid-2000s that Elizabeth had drawn up a plan that I think Margaret would have given up her possibly her royal title, definitely her rights to the succession, and would have found a way to do it if they wanted to, but Margaret was the one who broke it off mm-hmm. before they announced. And they don't really get into why 
she made that choice. In the show, they have this thing where Elizabeth, uh, where the Queen Mother and... Tommy Lassels, who I don't think private secretary is the right title, but he's he's got that kind of yeah private secretary, yeah you know kind of high ranking courtier confidant to the Queen Mother. Convince Elizabeth, tell Elizabeth that oh well according to the Royal Marriages Act, Margaret can just wait till she's twenty five, and Elizabeth goes okay, and then you know two years pass or a year and a half however long, and they tell her oh well actually there's a second part to that. There's a, yeah we didn't read the law all the way through, and then and they spent a whole episode talking about how Elizabeth was the greatest constitutional law scholar that England had ever seen right. because that was literally anything she, uh, the only thing she'd studied. Which, there's, so there's that discrepancy, plus also then there is, so Margaret is very unhappy and very unhappy with Elizabeth, and at no point does the Queen Mother, watching her two daughters drift apart, come in and say, actually, I lied to you guys. Like, she's perfectly fine with Margaret hating Elizabeth mm-hmm. because of her lie. It, it didn't work for me. Right, and we also know that they did remain pretty close and, like, called every day to gossip about whatever the queen and her sister gossip about. While courtiers listen. There's this... shoes? I don't know. (laughs) There's a kind of funny um, interlude where they show that in order to reach Elizabeth, the, what's called, the phone board, like, there's Mm -hmm. a protocol there, so the very senior person who is a hundred years old and walks very slowly is the only one allowed to connect the queen's calls. So it takes 10 minutes to get Elizabeth on the phone, even if she's sitting right by the phone. Right. So yeah, so that drama was a little drawn out. I will say though, there's this, there's a scene where they're still trying to work it out where Peter and Margaret can marry. So Peter accompanies Elizabeth and Philip to Scotland, I believe. Rhodesia. No, no, no. That was after Rhodesia. Mm -hmm. I think after he comes back. That was the episode where it's shown that he's popular in the newspapers. Yeah. And and at this point, he's gotten pretty familiar with them, and he calls Elizabeth Lilibet. And I swear <laughs> to God, my yeah. hackles wrote, how dare you, sir? Yeah. He is the queen. I felt so outraged. <laughs> how dare you, sir? How dare my you? My monocle popped all the way out. <laughs> <clears throat> Lily Beth yeah. is an adorable nickname, by the way. It is. And the Fud Girls also did point out that all of these episodes are written and directed by dudes. Yeah, that's a problem. And so, like, dudes don't necessarily understand how women relate to each other or how relationships can work they don't have the the same understanding so so certainly in the in the first half of the season it feels like these relationships are just sort of glossed over like as being unimportant which is frustrating but we get to see a lot of prince philip's ass so that's okay i guess an awful lot (laughs) is i I actually don't want to know if that's historically accurate or not i already had to read that weird segment, and I think it was Town and Country magazine or something, where they admitted that Prince Charles sleeps in the raw. Mm-hmm. He has his own toilet seat he takes with him, but he still sleeps naked. Yeah. That was weird. That is weird. That is weird. Also, I had somehow managed to put that out of my mind. Sorry, I had <laughs> reminded of it. So thanks for that. We're really sorry. 
I don't think you are, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got a question. Do you think that in stories of royals that the emphasis is very almost exclusively British? And do you think that we need to diversify on that front? Oh, I do think we need to do some diversity. There's fascinating shit with the Swedish royals. And the only English or movie, that it's not even in English, it's in Swedish, um, but it's subtitled and you can get it, I believe, on Amazon Prime, called The Girl King about Queen Christina from the, the mid-1600s is great. It's so pretty. And, uh, you know, Queen Christina and her lady-in-waiting, who is also an orgasm friend. It's great. <laughs> Great title, great title. Oh, they're totally just friends. What are you worried about? Like, no, they're orgasm friends. The problem with Hollywood doing other royals is like, well, if they do Russia, it's always Anastasia and God. If they do France, it's always Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Although Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette is really wonderful. I will say that. It is. It's very pretty. I actually watched it a couple of months ago. Finally. I guess it's it's not true. There was that movie where Catherine Zeta-Jones played uh, Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great, yes. The the problem with European royals is just like the English royals, our Russian royals were also German. Mm. Well, it's because you know Germany had all of those principalities and minor royals that you could marry into, mm-hmm. and which is you know great for strengthening alliances when you have a whole fucking parcel of kids, Victoria. <laughs> There is a show called Versailles, which is about Louis the Fourteenth. I tried to watch it. The first episode was very boring, so I deleted it off our server. The thing is, I'm sure you know, like other other countries will will make movies. So I'm sure you know China has both Taiwan and China have a, a whole parcel of historical. We don't talk about Taiwan anymore. Yeah, <laughs> no, we do now. Remember, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you know about their own history, and I'm sure Japan has a lot of TV shows about their, you know, the, whatever the imperial lines. But like, would I trust a British or American production to? Would I necessarily even want to watch it? Mm. That is a very good point. That's a fair point. Yeah, there are so, some good historicals about European royals. A royal affair, anyone? I was going to mm. bring it up because we will find a way for Matt Nicholson to be part of the show. <laughs> yes, Every single episode, you guys, we can do it. Yeah, that's our goal for 2017 is Matt Nicholson will, will come up in every episode. Call hey, have you seen the trailer help. for Death Stranding? No. For what? In the video game he's doing. Oh. He's got bad eyeshadow in this one as well. I think this is his new thing. Excellent. I'm down with it. I have a ticket to see Rogue One next week, so. Me too. Yay. And he was the best part of Doctor Strange. I mean, look, we're not surprised by this, but still. There's a royal affair, although I do point out that I believe she was a daughter of Victoria, granddaughter. No, she she was not, because that was way before then. She was she was English, though, wasn't she? Isn't she Swedish? I'm trying to remember. Carolyn Matilda of Great Britain uh, was the daughter of Frederick, Prince of Wales, and Prince Augusta of Saxe Gotha. So, Prince of Wales, so yes, she was. 
It was the granddaughter of George II. Okay. So yeah, she was England, like of descended from the British royal family. Right, which means she was German. Yeah, <laughs> she was German. <laughs> oh, Alicia, why are you so pretty? I will say I am very surprised that we haven't seen more Hollywoodized takes on the modern European royals. Like the Prince in Me is essentially like very light fan fiction about Frederick and Mary of Denmark. Mm-hmm. So I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of it. There is a, an Australian TV movie about Mary Donaldson, which I watched on YouTube, which actually wasn't that bad. Excellent. Like, it's TV movie-ish. Clearly people say things that they wouldn't say in real life because you need to move the plot around and remind people who these people are. Mm-hmm. But there were, like, it, it was actually very sweet and kind of nailed how ridiculously awful and hard it must be to give up your entire life and your citizenship and possibly rights to your own children in order to marry into a family where everyone is going to judge every move that you ever make and think that you're not right. I thought that was, it was pretty good. (laughs) Of course, the guy playing Frederick was nowhere near good looking enough to be Frederick and was clearly just an Australian playing a Danish guy. The accent was a bit much, but you know, it was very sweet. Actually, back to the royal affair. Do we want to talk, like, Kaylee, do you want to do a rundown of that? Plot and historical background? Well, it's got Mass Mickelson in it, and then things happen. <laughs> There's sexy times. There's so much sexy times. It's very sexy times, too. Like, that is a sexy, depressing movie. Okay, it is basically, it's about uh, Christian Seventh of Denmark, who was king during the 1700s, who was kind of equivalent to the like the madness of King George III in the UK, but much more malicious, apparently. And his he had a doctor who was basically by his side during everything, and then he had this wife, and basically the wife and the doctor were doing it and influencing him in possibly good or bad ways on the throne, and then ends badly. Spoiler. Yes. But it looks gorgeous. I mean, if you thought Britain could do period dramas, wow, Denmark have got that shit locked down. And the guy who's directing this, who directed this, is directing the Dark Tower movie. Which is interesting. Oh. So. Like, it is actually, I think it was in terms of non-English language historical dramas, it was probably one that got the, one of the better runs in the box office in the UK. I don't know so much about America, but it did pretty well here because mm-hmm. um, Mark Kermode, Mark Kermode, who is the like the the biggest film critic in the UK, it was his favorite film of that year, and he went on about it for months. So it paid off. And also, I have very cool pictures of when they held the official premiere for it in Denmark, and Princess Mary is walking around with Mass Mikkelsen and has that look on her face of like, "I'm getting paid to do this." Aww. <laughs> if I can find the picture, I, I have a lot of Mass Mikkelsen pictures. Also, Mass Mikkelsen is like a, an officially a Danish knight, so. Oh well. And also a, and also a French one, so. <laughs> they do that. In I France, imagine though? they made him wear a suit to go collect that. I imagine <laughs> he didn't get to wear his fabulous pink hoodie, of which I am now completely obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> they got him in a suit for the Rogue One premiere as well. I was very impressed. He does clean up real nice. He just doesn't clean up enough. <laughs> No. No, but that's what makes it special is that yeah, I don't know. 
I got nothing for you. Do you think he still bought any plaid in his wardrobe? Do you think he kept any of it? Definitely. I know a bunch of people who bought stuff when they auctioned off everything from the Hannibal set, who bought, like, suits and ties and everything. This is some really nice I suits and ties. I did, in fact, bid on the murder tie. <gasps> that must have gone for a lot of money. I think it did. I did not bid that much. <laughs> I, I wasn't too concerned. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the important part. <laughs> Just wanted to say that I could bid on the murder tie. Are there any other royal themed things that you're interested in? Well, the Hollow Crown 2 is coming out here at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited at Sophie Okinado. Is that, did I get the yeah. titles? As, uh, who is she? Margaret of Anjou? Yeah. I believe she is, because we got this already, I think. Yeah. Super, super interested in that. And um, Victoria will start airing here in January. And that looks very pretty, if kind of shallow. Get ready, shippers. Who will Victoria end up with? (laughs) Spoiler alert, it's not Rufus Sewell. A book. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Speaking of the Hollow Crown, I did find this um, interesting. What these shows do, and the Hollow Crown and the Crown are perfect examples because they actually just use it as the title, is this kind of weird... They like to add pathos to the situation of being fabulously wealthy on taxpayers' dime by saying that the crown is they anthropomorphize it in a way that's like, well, it kills you, right? Like, it's almost like this separate entity, you know, like you're Elizabeth, but then there's Elizabeth the Queen, and the crown must always win, and there's always talk of the crown killed her father, and in the Hollow Crown, there's that line, you know, there's that whole speech Hal has where when he thinks the Henry IV is dead, that he picks up the crown and like speaks to it, and then I spoke it as to some as a as a murderer who killed my father. So there's that whole idea of the the crown is is an entity to itself, kingship mm-hmm. and 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 queenship is an entity unto itself, and how it subsumes every part of your life. I think that's the the main driving conflict really mm-hmm. of them yeah. all. And I will admit, I'm quite fond of that story occasionally when it comes up in romances. Mm-hmm. Tortured princes is great. Like I think that if if you're going to have a monarchy, if you're going to have like this peerage who are expected to like take care of their lands and do shit, then then yes, that I feel like that conflict is important. That you should be able to recognize that you have a duty that. Maybe you didn't choose it, you were born to it, but if you have it, you can't just sit around drinking shit and gambling your money away and not doing the the duty that comes with your privilege. And not doing that duty is kind of what brought on the French Revolution, I'm just saying. Yeah, and the Russian one. Uh-huh. There's a great scene, uh, so in, there's actually a series of scenes that is in The Crown in the young Victoria and in the queen of when the, the younger queen talks to an older one. So in the crown, that's uh, Elizabeth talking to her grandmother mm-hmm. where, and she, she really outlines kind of when Elizabeth complains 
there, there's a, this was the great smog episode. And she said, well, if the fog hadn't lifted, if the smog hadn't lifted, because people from the government were coming to me and saying, you have to make Churchill resign because you technically have that constitutional power to suggest it, but she's kind of not supposed to use it. And she says, well, am I supposed to do nothing? And her grandmother says, you are, and doing nothing is the hardest job of all. But it is your job as a constitutional monarch to always do nothing because you have the power, but you're not supposed to use it. And it reminded me of a scene in the young Victoria. That scene was of Victoria talking to the widow of her predecessor, where she tells her, like, where she says, you were a monarch, you know, the prime minister's a politician. The politicians come and go, you stay. You have to be like the constant symbol. And the queen even had a scene of uh, the queen's talking to her mother. The older Elizabeth, where she says, like, I think I'm losing the faith of the people. So there's always a scene in these movies of the queen taking advice from an older woman in her, who understands her position. Yes, I think that's an advantage that that the British queens have had over the, the kings. <clears throat> is that they have had, generally, the their predecessors have all been dudes and they have had their dude the their predecessors wives to kind of talk things through in a way that I don't think men would do mm-hmm. and asking about some of this behind the scenes shit that men would never think of and that women kind of have to and maybe that's kind of gender essentialist of me but I suspect it is true and also, we haven't really spoken about the Queen. Even though I, I feel like after that movie, Helen Mirren became almost kind of the quintessential portrayal of modern royalty. And she, there was a play. She did it on stage for a while afterwards, didn't she? The yeah, the audience. Which was basically made to show off that she could play the Queen again and get a Tony. Like, the entire <laughs> play is engineered for that. I mean, it worked. <laughs> right. I rewatched the Queen last night. Um, I've seen it, you know, a few years. I haven't seen it for a few years. And, man, I, I don't know how I feel about Tony Blair, Queen fanboy. <laughs> it was, it just felt like his, the entire point of that character in that movie was to show that, oh, don't you badmouth the Queen. You don't understand how great she is. I mean, this was the early days of Tony Blair, you know, when there was still the twinkle in his eye and people didn't think that he was the Antichrist. So I kind of <laughs> buy it. And also, I like Michael Sheen. But I'm glad that he gets to play people other than Tony Blair now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's earned that right now. So. Do, you, do you remember? Um, I know that it was a while ago, you know, Diana's death and kind of the, the fever pitch that surrounded it. But I'm trying to remember that movie versus what it was actually like. Um, it's tough. It's been, I mean, it's, it's 20 years next year. Oh, my God. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that happened as I was leaving for college, so I remember that my mom dropped me off. I I went to college in the same town where my grandparents were living, so mom brought me up, and then she crashed at grandpa's house and was woken up by the radio playing the funeral music, because it was early morning here. And my point is, is that I was kind of focused on other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that that was one of the first times that internet news factored in because I had already seen, 
like it was posted on America Online that she had died. So I knew about it the night before, and then it was on the front page of the paper. And mom was like, oh, my God, did you know about this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've known about this for like 12 hours. And she was mad at me because I didn't Mm -hmm. tell her. I'm just curious because um, the movie really is kind of about how the country and the world mourned Diana versus how the family was conflicted on two fronts. One being that um, Elizabeth was still of this old school stiff upper lip. The people don't want to see me, you know, crying on TV. And the other being that they didn't like Diana and they didn't like her for, you know, personal reasons, but the country expected them to put on a show of heartbreak and remorse. And now it's very interesting. I do, I do like how the film really shows Diana. Like they keep on showing uh, footage of her from TV interviews and such. So she's not a character in the movie because there's no an actress that plays her, but instead she overshadows the entire movie and it's almost like, well, now that she's dead, she's all she's one, and she's always one. Mm-hmm. Over you specifically, the queen over Charles over the but really over the queen because the queen's the head of the family that Diana was in conflict with. So I was only seven when she died, so I don't remember a huge amount. I do remember a lot of the headlines because it was every headline for about a month, even longer. But I it was I remember looking back on it a few years later. Because um, there was a TV special on like one of the dingier channels here, and just it focused on the huge contrast between how she was portrayed literally days before she died and how she was portrayed after she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't that well loved necessarily with the British press at the time. Like she was going on lots of holidays and she was ignoring all their pleas for you know pictures and stuff, and she was generally considered for lack of a better term, a bit of a star sucker. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, but she was also incredibly savvy with the media. And they acknowledged that. You know, She knew how to, to play the game so that this sympathies would be on her over mm-hmm. the royals. Have you, have you ever seen the very famous interview she gave with, um, I think it was Martin Bashir? Mm-hmm. Where she's got the, the heavy um, eyeliner on and the, the, the slight flop in the hair and the the doe-eyed look, you know, oh, I'm just for me kind of thing. Right, and <clears throat> is that the one where she talked about not wanting three people in a bed? There were three people in our well, marriage, so it was yeah. crowded, yeah. I believe, is the phrase that they used. That interview so, was in oh, the movie. I watched that one live. See, that, and that thing was watched by millions. Yeah. That was a proper game-changing um, situation and it was also at a time when the royals were not that popular um, not only was there the Charles Diana divorce um, Prince Andrew got divorced from Sarah Ferguson mm-hmm. Princess Anne got divorced from her partner um, I can't remember his name Windsor Castle was subject to a huge fire it was a very strange kind of political time we were after Thatcher but we weren't in New Labour yet so you had John Major who's the most uninspiring human being who's ever lived <laughs> So whatever royals were supposed to be a symbol of at the time, it wasn't working. And it took, I think, until pretty much when Kate Middleton came on the scene, not even necessarily in the public scene, but the moment Prince William went to university and uh, the press had agreed to like leave him alone, but someone managed to get one picture of him like walking down a street in St Andrews with her, and then that was kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a generational situation there. The older generation of royals were kind of not 
outstaying their welcome so much but didn't know how to stay with what was going on and I think the Queen the movie is very good at showing the specific kind of PR nightmare that it is to be in that constantly public situation Mm -hmm. and how you have to be willing to play it there is a sense that the Queen doesn't want to play it because it's almost rude for her to play it yeah it's kind of gauche you know I think it's very good at that. Uh, there is a bit too much of the, you know, Tony Blair, like, she's given up her life for this, rah, 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 I'm waiting for my knighthood kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bit. But it's a really good Tony Blair impression, you guys. Right. <laughs> He's so good at that role, it's, like, upsetting. <laughs> Doesn't it remind you of um, the early scene in the King's Speech where the his father, George the Fifth, fifth is uh, complaining about having to do uh, addresses over the wireless over the radio saying like we've now become the actor yes that we now have yeah. to go intrude into people's homes and and when we were watching the queen and, and seeing how like she's so resistant to doing you know like the live television address and having to i'm very much thinking of that like here yet another change in technology and morality and expectations that the royal family is lagging behind no, well, change is hard when you're part of a multi-thousand-year tradition. Mm-hmm. But I think change in terms of keeping up with media changes, um, media methods of communication stuff, is hard for anyone, but particularly for the past 20, 30 years, it's gotten almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you are keeping up with it, you're not necess- necessarily sure if you're keeping up with it. Yeah. I mean, look at this past year and everything that happened there and how that was influenced by the daftest shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, even now, like, there are members of royals who have Instagram accounts and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's all, you, there's almost the expectation of that kind of very open relationship. Whereas, I think what the current generation of the royals, at least Elizabeth's generation, is that it was the less people know, the more they appreciate you. Queen Elizabeth yep. has never done a TV interview. Mm-hmm. She's never sat down to do a newspaper interview either. She doesn't do interviews. Contrast that with Prince Charles, who's very media savvy. Mm-hmm. There was a really great documentary on BBC a couple of years ago about the ways in which post um, Diana's death, the royals, particularly Prince Charles, really had to keep a hold on their narrative and how he used that to welcome Camilla Parker Bowles into the, the fold and have it be less about here's the homewrecking bitch and be more about actually she's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Like my mother is very team Camilla. <laughs> um, and I think she's actually done very well over the past few years, all things considered. And she has one of my favorite Royal wedding dresses. So mm-hmm. I know I love that dress and that coat. I love that coat. I think that the fact that, that she and Charles actually seem happy and to like yes. each other publicly really helps with kind of public perceptions of Camilla. Uh (laughs) And I think that that would be very different if Diana had not died. Like if Diana were still alive, that whole perception would be very, very different. But what's That's my theory. That is an excellent question. (laughs) Like, how much of what she... Would would she just be known as kind of another sort of vaguely royal hanger-on? Or would she have really 
catapulted herself into proper philanthropic state because even someone like Sarah Ferguson, who is head of an incredibly successful charity, has never been able to shake that. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested in that. There was a terrible deal, um, Newsweek magazine piece a few years ago where they like mm-hmm. did a photoshop of what she would probably look like now and basically wrote fan fiction about what would Diana be like if she were alive today and it was the creepiest thing ever Ugh. right now you know for all the, the talk of you know is is, modern, is the British monarchy an outmoded institution the thing is I don't think there's any danger of say Queen Elizabeth II being deposed, I don't know, if, if it's a non-violent revolution, I don't even know what the right word is, disbanded, because she is such an institution. I think with the current political situation the way it is in Britain right now, where it's very right-wing mm-hmm. with the EU vote, we have a conservative majority government, the Scotland situation is obviously very fractured, I don't see a referendum on becoming a republic happening yeah. anytime um, soon, even under Charles. I think Charles is going to be up a Victoria Edward situation. Yeah. That was kind of my question because here's the thing. Because the younger, you know, William and, and Harry right now especially, they're pretty popular too. Especially with the, well at least from my point of view with the North American press. They're very taken with the young royals. But Charles is in that weird in-between state, right? He was, his popularity was overshadowed by Diana's and now he's kind of too old to be interesting, which is a mean thing to say, but I feel like it's true. Oh yeah, it's oh, definitely true. Not necessarily. He's actually, in terms of, as I mentioned with his PR, in terms of the past couple of years, he's done very well. He did a TV special recently that was hosted by, basically he was trailed around in his duties by Ant and Dick. Do you guys know who Ant and Dick are? Oh. No. Uh, they're oh. the most famous um, TV presenting duo in Britain. They are basically... I thought that was Mel and Sue. Oh, I wish. I, I much prefer Mel and Sue and that and Dick. Uh, we like our double acts here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, they, they trailed him around as he did his job and showed how he kind of... You know, normal and very good at his job was. And he actually does a lot more royal duties than, say, the younger royals. Mm-hmm. You know, He actually kind of does his job. And that's one of the things I think that has warmed Camilla to a lot of people is just how incredibly dedicated she is to actually doing the job. Yeah. Um, she And also the charities that she is a patron of. She's patrons for charities related to um, violence against women and domestic abuse, for childhood literacy, um, for animal conservation, for um, cures for HIV and AIDS. The same kind of charities that were generally considered like not kind of no-go areas for royals. They were like less safe territory. She's been very good at that. Mm-hmm. She's she's the chair of the Man Booker Prize, which is really cool. She she's one of the people that gives out the prize every year. So I think that has helped. I I it's a generational thing because I think that a lot of like American based publications, particularly kind of gossip rags and stuff, generally view Will and Kate and Harry and to a lesser extent Beatrice Nugent as like slightly more acceptable versions of the Kardashians. <laughs> yes. It's the same allure, but there's the idea of class mm-hmm. attached to it. So they just want the entertainment there, which is, I think, one of the reasons that, and also, hey, it's an American possibly becoming a princess. Like, every Princess Diaries book, that's yeah. what we're going to get eventually. <laughs> so I think there is an excitement there. Whether that carries out into popularity in the UK, I don't know. Um, I think it would just involve how public they are. Prince Harry is very public in terms mm-hmm. of his charity work in the UK. 
William and Kate less so, but they've got cute kids, so they can kind of get away with it. Mm-hmm. If they started dressing their kids better, it would probably help. <laughs> I get that they're old-fashioned, but they don't need to be that old-fashioned. Yeah, this... Mm, may, maybe... Know. Okay, I get that you haven't moved away from the 50s, but maybe move up to, like, the 80s. The 90s? No, don't. Shoulder don't pads. Do <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Not for them, for the kids. <laughs> I'm just imagining them being dressed like the Culture Club members. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Kate is so terrified of being eviscerated for making any sort of interesting sartorial choices. I don't blame her. That she's like, I will play it all the safetyness and maybe they will leave my kids more or less alone. I'm actually really surprised we haven't gotten the inevitable backlash with her yet. Not that I'm rooting for her or anything, but like this happened a whole lot quicker with all of the other women in the royals that mar- married into the royals than it has with her. I'm wondering how much of that is because she has been deliberately shielded by the family. Mm. Because she has also been... I mean, she has two young children. I, I, I kind of get it, but she doesn't do royal duties very often. And I'm surprised that there hasn't been more of a, you know, rah-rah, taxpayers' money, rah-rah, lazy, waity-katey kind of thing about it. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm not hoping for that. I think, like, leave the poor women alone. But I also, you know, it must be exhausting to be constantly judged based on three things. Your hair, your clothes, and your uterus. Yep. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't give up anything like that. I mean, everyone talks about it's the fairy tale princess story. Fuck that. I wouldn't no. do it. This is why Harry called it a job when he said nobody yes. had you have to find a girl who wants the job. That's why it's known as the firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the, I think, people are, uh, that's one of the reasons I think that they were so open about the Meghan Markle situation. They've never done that before. They didn't even do it with Kate when everyone knew that they were dating. Yeah. Like, he, that was a really awesome letter. Like, I, PR team were good on that front. Yeah, I think that, that Harry has definitely sort of looked at his, what happened with his mother and looked at what happened with Kate and was like, nope, I know how to not handle this shit. <laughs> and I know what I'm not willing to put someone who I actually care for through. Yep. And I'm also not going to put the, somebody who I'm still trying to figure shit out with through this. Which is why I think we haven't heard much about his love life. And also, it's the first time we've really seen the royals have to address the very public way in which they're talked about and the very nasty ways in which it affects the women who are related to them tangentially or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And in this one, they had to acknowledge race as well. Yeah. Yeah. The great colonial powers had to talk about race. And it was, considering this was the same guy that went to a Halloween party in a Nazi uniform when he was younger. Like, I am very impressed with Prince Harry's growth. Yes, exactly. He has has grown up a lot in the past 10 years. And I think he's really made an effort to use his position and his privilege for good. And he's balding at a much slower rate than his brother. <laughs> he, is. he is. Still hot hair. He is balding, but he's going much slower. If he keeps yeah. the beard, I think it should be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a great picture of Prince William when he briefly grew a beard. And I was like, why didn't you keep that? Because there are a finite number of beards allowed in, your, in the European royals. <laughs> and Philippe had it for a while. 
has he still got the beard? Because he needs to keep that I, beard permanently. I think Phil, no, Philippe shaved his right when Harry grew his. Because oh, it's the same situation with Hakon of Denmark, like of, of Norway. He should always yep. have the beard. He should always have the beard. <laughs> this is very specific rules we're putting in place now. <laughs> There's another royal family I really want to see like dramas on. Is the is Juan Carlos of Spain? Mm. Just like his entire arc from being the hero against fascism to that doddery old idiot who shot the elephant is just so interesting to me. Okay. I'm just oh, reminded of something that happened last week that uh, that Beatrice accidentally stabbed <laughs> Sheeran in the face. It's like That's a so TV moment. Accidentally. Accidentally. <laughs> Somebody was like, hey, can you knight me? And she was like, sure, let me grab a sword. And she waved it around a little too energetically. Why was the sword the sharp? <laughs> Also, Queen Elizabeth teach your grandkids how to knight people. Or at least how to properly handle a sword. Oh my god. I know, right? So disappointed. Yeah. There is one royal family I'm kind of surprised we don't have a ton of movies about, because those would really be kind of the the royal Kardashians. The the Monaco royal? The fucking Monaco. Oh, yes! (laughs) What the shit? (laughs) So much to talk about there. Like, Come on, keeping up with the Grimaldis. It's. Uh... Mm-hmm. I mean, we did get that really terrible Grace Kelly movie with Nicole Kidman. Bless. She tried her best, but that is a bad movie. Yeah. I mean, the basic tenet of that movie is true love will save the day. And also, the most important issue is that Monaco keeps its tax exam status. Because <laughs> we can all relate to that. That family's just primed for it. There is an actual Princess Diaries daughter that Albert has. He has an American teen. Well, she's not an American anymore. illegitimate teenage daughter. Yeah. He's got two illegitimate kids. Well, there's yeah. one's a son, and there weren't any books about that, so we don't care. But like, Jasmine is straight up Princess Diaries. Have you seen the Monaco twins? They are very cute. They are very cute, and Charlene looks much more relaxed since she gave birth to them. I've always liked her. I mean, there was so much of that, oh, she looks miserable, and it's like, she looks stressed and annoyed with everyone. I relate. Yeah. <laughs> and she looks, and I love her short hair. She's very cool. I'm, mm. I'm a little disappointed in, in, in how Andrea Kazaragi grew, because he used to be dreamy. He's less <laughs> dreamy now. Yeah, I got snaked down a Wikipedia hole, trying to, like, do a crash course on the Grimaldis and because all I knew was Grace Kelly and Rainier and that was it pretty much yeah but no no, all the kids like plenty of of TV scandal fodder there all of the personal trainers and and illegitimate babies (laughs) I think you could just make a Princess Caroline show (laughs) that would be awesome (laughs) yep like, someone call up, like, Shonda Rhimes or something and tell her, hey, do you want to make this? <laughs> yes. Yes, it would definitely be better than Rain. I'm in the middle of season two. There's ghost sex. Oh. How does that show last it as long as it has? I don't know, but the, the fourth season was going to start airing next year, and it's that's that'll be the last season. Because after that, she it's it's Mary Queen of Scots, right? So she has to die at yep. some point. She has to die at some point. I don't, I don't know if they're going to get that far. 
What accent does Mary Queen of Scots have in this show? It's a it's a received pronunciation. <laughs> well, she grew up in France, and she is currently the Queen of France, while also being the Queen of Scotland. So, why would she have anything other than an English received pronunciation? Makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> it's good times. Hey, Zara's pregnant. We're getting another English royal baby. This next year. Well, she doesn't technically have a title, so... Royal tangentially related. Yeah. <laughs> the queen is getting another great-grandchild. <laughs> that is a very cute picture of her with her younger grandkids and the great-grandkids. Yes. Yeah, she seems completely delighted with Charlotte. She couldn't deal with the kids, but the grandkids and the great-grandkids, she's, she's good with that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty standard, right? Yeah. Now that we know about Hot Harry and Meghan Markle, can we please have that sequel to the Royal We Were the Fuck Girls where <laughs> Freddie yes. has his America? It's pre-written for you girls. Yep. Please. It's all there. As a riser agent didn't immediately ring them up and just say, hey, I've got a pitch for you. So, we're ready for the wrap on this year. No, I want to do your quiz. I made a quiz for you guys. Oh, oh all right, right, the, quiz, the quiz. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. So it's been a, a tough year. It's a year of strife and terror and uncertainty. And I felt that really the only way that we could wrap up this year in style was to pit two of my dearest friends against each other for my love and attention. So here's the Angle Fees end of 2016 quiz. Da 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 da. I didn't have B music. I was going to get some and I didn't. So we have. 36 questions, free rounds. 36? Yeah, but they're yes, no questions. Okay. Uh, so, simply, you have to answer yes or no to them. Divided into free rounds. The winner will get, I don't know, go treat yourself to something nice. <laughs> Wait, you're not even gonna foot the bill on this? <laughs> I will foot the bill. Okay, so, we will start with Alina and then Raiden, because A becomes comes before R. Oh, I see how it is. You're not allowed. You're, if you get the question wrong, there's no point given. You one point each question. Are steals allowed? No. Damn. Because it's a yes/no question. So <laughs> if you steal, there's really only another answer to give, and that really doesn't seem fair. <laughs> you know, I only had ninety minutes to make this quiz. I will do a bigger one next year, and I will make it more complicated. Excellent. Um, so. As I said, there are three rounds. Let's start with round one. Are these real lyrics to songs from Eurovision Song Contest entries? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> Question one, Alina. Your bum has feelings. Your bum is a part of you. Don't put it on chairs. Your bum has an opinion. Real song or not? Eurovision. <laughs> I'm going to say real. Yes, it is. That's from Austria. Question two, Raiden. Oh, your breasts are like swallows in nesting. Real song or not? Definitely real. Correct. That's from Sweden. Yep. See? I know things. I guessed. <laughs> Question three, Alina. You're my best friend in a world we must defend. Real or not? Fake. Correct. That's actually from the theme tune to Pokemon. Question four, Raiden. I look all over the maps trying to escape because I'm tired of your sweet cheesecake. Real or not? 
Well, that is a song, but it's a Maroon 5 song. So is your answer yes or no? No. Wrong! That's from Belarus. They stole it. It was like a Robin Fick song. It was really gross. Okay. Um, oh god, I remember that one. Ew, 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 ew. We remember now, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Okay. Question five for Alina. Only time will tell if we stand the test of time. Yeah. That's a kind of bad English translation songs get, but it's a little generic. Overthinking it. <laughs> I'm gonna say fake. Correct. That's actually a Van Halen song. <laughs> oh, Why? Why yeah. not? Question six for Raiden. She'll think I'm Superman and not Super Minivan. How could she leave on Yom Kippur? Is it Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Well, that's and- well, uh, was Israel a, a competitor in Eurovision this year? You're overthinking it, Raiden. Shut up. <laughs> I'm allowed to ask questions, right? Yes, you are. Israel have been in it for like 30 years now, so... Well, I don't pay attention to Eurovision. Ha! It's true. I don't. Okay. So I'm going to say it's real. No, that's actually a song by Train called oh, 50 okay. Ways You Leave Your Lover. Uh, question seven for Alina. I like this, I like that, but all I want is a moustache. <laughs> yes! I want to say yes. Yes, that was from France. It was a song called Moustache. I believe they came last. The, the twins, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I remember that badness. Question number eight for Raiden. Would you like something to suck on for landing? <laughs> I mean, it could go either way. Uh, not real. Actually, that was real. That was the United Kingdom's entry. <laughs> and yes, it came last. <laughs> it's a song about flying on a plane. That's why you want to suck on landing. You know? No? Okay. <laughs> Question nine for Alina. <laughs> now you get to watch her leave out the window. Guess that's why they call it window pane. No, that's uh, uh, Love the Way You Lie. Correct. Question ten for Raiden. Love is no bounce check. Bad man. Oh, sex with you passes by as fast as a starship Enterprise. Those are just random words thrown together. <laughs> you're, you're free to ask for me to repeat them if you like. I, I don't think that's going to help. Um, real. Correct. That's from Austria. Sure. Question 11. Final one for you, Alina. When you love me, everything is groovy. They don't like it. Sue me. That's train again. Yeah. I was tempted just to put all those ones as train. <laughs> God, it's the hefty garbage bag love song. Oh. I felt that would have given it away a bit too much, so I didn't put that in. Question 12 for Raiden, final one of the round. Do you want to be more than just a friend? Do you want to play cyber sex again? If you want to come to my house, click me with your mouse. <laughs> Real. Correct! That is the San Marino social media song. <laughs> they didn't get through the final of it. So, uh, so end of round one. Alina has six, and Raiden has three. Round two. Is this the title of an actual Highlander Scottish romance novel? Starting with Alina. One, A Scot in the Dark. Real. Correct, that's Sarah McLean. That one's two. good. I haven't read that one yet. No, I've read her first one. Uh, two, Raiden. X marks the Scot. No, that one's real. Correct, that's Victoria Roberts. Three, Alina. Scott checks. I want to say fake. Correct. This one's really hard. Four, Raiden. Scott in a hot tin roof. Ooh. Not real. 
Correct. But should be. Come on. Should be. Somebody write that. Number five, Alina. Some like it, Scott. Real. Correct. That's actually the title of four separate romance novels. It's true. There's so many puns, and I feel like all the really good ones must be taken. Yeah, I really struggled with this round. Uh, Raiden, question six. Sleepless in Scotland. Real. Correct. That's by Karen Hawkins. You're both doing very well. Seven, Alina. Scottish muscle, and muscle is spelled M-U-S-S-E-L. No. No, I think I've... It's going to be embarrassing, because I feel like I've seen that one, so I'm going to say real. Wrong, but it is a really terrible movie. Oh, okay. Directed by Tallulah Riley. It's, like, infamously bad in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) Question eight for Raiden. Must love Scots. Oh, that one's real. Really? According to my searching, it wasn't real. Let me double check that. Confer amongst yourself. No, because it's Must Love Kilts is a real one. Oh, there's Must Love mm-hmm. Scotland, there's Must Love Highlanders, so I am technically... There's Must Love Breaches, does that help? No, I read that one. That one's not good. Yeah, I've read that entire series. Must Love Chainmail, Must Love Breaches, Must Love Kilts. But it's not Must Love Scots. Sorry. Question nine, Alina. The Scot and I. I want to say real? Correct, that's Elizabeth Thornton. Raiden, question 10. When the Scot goes down? <laughs> um, I am going to say not real because I really need it to be not real. It's not real. Congratulations. Thank God. <laughs> someone should make that one. because that's No, they should person. not. Uh, number 11 for Alina. I think it's a good pun. Uh, 11 for Alina. Off kilter. Oh. No, I think. Honestly, I think that's too good to be true. So I'm going to say fake. It's actually real. It's a book by Donna Kaufman. And final question for Raiden. Scott through the heart. You're <laughs> too <laughs> late. <laughs> um, real. No, it's not real, actually. Now, someone definitely has to use that title. Come on. Definitely. Yeah. And then give us royalties. Yeah. Or at least three copies. <laughs> at the end of that round, Alina has ten and Raiden has seven everything to play for as we go into the final round are these the names of actual members of a different royal family from around the world okay okay so are you including titles this is just prince or princess and then their first name okay so let's see how much time you guys have spent on go fuck yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> you do i will give you an extra point if you can name the country okay 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 so alina question one princess angela Fake. Wrong. She's real, but I'll give you a point if you can name the country. Denmark? No, she's actually a princess of Liechtenstein. Oh my god. That's she's not a real few... country. <laughs> she's one of the few black princesses in the world. So oh. that's why she's uh, best known. Question two, Raiden, Princess Anna. Well, I mean, she's a sister of Queen Elsa, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a Princess Anna somewhere. Is this currently living? Currently living, I should state. No. Correct. Huh, it's kind of surprising there isn't currently a Princess Anna. Yeah, I was really surprised too, actually. Uh, question three for Alina. Princess Tatiana. The Russian royal... T- I don't know if you're counting the Romanovs who are still counting themselves. As- although I don't think I am counting royals who have titles but don't have kingdoms as well. I think she's... I think the... I'm going to say fake. No, real. But I will give you a point for country. 
I don't think she's one. There's one of the Romanovs named Tatiana, uh, but there could be like, let's say Bulgaria. Uh, no, it's Greece. Okay. Similar kind of situation. Yep. Uh, four for Raiden, Princess Leia. Leia. You can ask for spelling. Can't. How how do you spell this? L E A. That's it. Yep. We are very bad at this. You'd think we'd be better. We just spent an entire episode. The expanded quiz we do next year is going to be epic. We'll get theme music and everything. <laughs> do, do, not, do, do. not real. Uh, she is real. Give me a point for the country. Thailand. Uh, no, Belgium. Oh, okay. We know nothing. <laughs> you uh, didn't know that either. <laughs> question five, no arguing on the quiz. Prince Louis. I don't think there's a current Prince Louis. I th- wait, wait. Is there a Monica Louis? Mm. Okay, let's go with yes. Correct. Name the country. I'm gonna go with Monaco. Wrong. I will throw it open if you want to guess on this one, since this makes sense for a steel mill. Mm. Not the UK. I believe not the Low Countries. We already did Liechtenstein. Germany, there's too fucking many. Luxembourg. Correct. Oh my god. I'm so impressed. <laughs> Question six for Raiden. Prince Peter. Yes. Uh, wrong. I'm actually, because technically Peter Phillips is not a prince. There is no <laughs> Prince Peter. Question seven for Alina. Princess Elizabeth. I don't think there is one right now. Is that your final answer? I'm going to say no. Wrong. There is actually a Princess Elizabeth. Point for the country. And countries are being repeated in here, just as a note. Is there a Princess Elizabeth? There's no Princess Elizabeth right now in England. So be... What country would have a Princess Elizabeth? Greece? Uh, no, Belgium again. She's actually the heir to the throne in Belgium. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> question eight, Princess Louise. Oh. Yes. No, there there's actually one. no current Princess Louise. Oh. There's a Lady Louise, but there's no princess. Well, I thought there was one somewhere. She's entitled okay. to the title of princess, but she doesn't actually claim it. Right. Um, this is the one in the, the British royals, but no, there's technically no Princess Louise, which is surprising to me because, like, there were tons of them in the past. Right. Question nine for Alina. Prince Felix. Wait, is there a Prince Felix or a King Felix right now? I want to say Spain? So is that a yes or no? Mm. Okay, let's go with yes. Correct. Now, this is a doozy because there's actually two Prince Felixes in the world and I will give you a point for each one. <gasps> I will throw it open to you as well. You both get a chance. I want to say one is Spain and one is Norway. Uh, wrong on both counts. Raiden. Oh, floor's okay, open. first off, Felix of Spain is currently the king because one, Carlos stepped down because he was... I knew it was the king. It's Felipe, it's not Felix. Oh, whatever. <laughs> He's very handsome. Um, he is. Two points available on the board. I need, like... No. Tense music. Just throw out two countries. Denmark. Correct. <laughs> One more. The Netherlands. Uh, no, it's Belgium again. Damn it! <laughs> uh, ten for I'm, Alina? There's, like, five people who live in Belgium, and, like, all of them are the royal family. 
<laughs> you know, I don't make history, I just make the quiz. It's true. Uh, back to the round. So it's now question 10 for Raiden. Princess Gabriella. Yes. Correct. Country. Monaco. Correct. It's two points for she's you. a baby. Even though she's the oldest, she is not going to be the, the sovereign. Because that does suck, doesn't it? That does suck. Question 11 for Alina. Princess Alexandra. Yes. Correct. Now, for this one, I will allow two answers. Because one of them is technically not a, a monarchy anymore, or really a country, but she is also from another prominent royal family, so I will allow it. So could it be Greece again? And and Sweden? Uh, no. Raiden, want to take a swing? Well, I'm going to guess that the country that's not a country is Yugoslavia. Uh, no. It's uh, actually Hanover. Oh. Ah. Uh, she is one of the daughters of, uh, I believe it's Princess Caroline? Sure. After after the um, Kazaragis. Right, she right, married, right. Like, mm. some prince who she apparently hated, but still married him anyway. It was mm. the Grimaldis, guys. <laughs> Whatever. And, and there's, there's another one. No, she's the same one, but because she is also a princess oh. of Monaco. Oh, okay. I, I, I worded that wrong. My apologies. <laughs> this is my first time quizzing. And final question of the round and of the quiz for Raiden, Prince Odysseus. No. I, wanna, I think it's yeah. Wrong. I'm kind of obvious. What, do you want to take this one, Alina? Greece? Correct. <laughs> okay. I have a goes. quibble. I have a quibble. Mm -hmm. I found a currently living Prince Peter. Wait, who is the living Prince? He's the hereditary Prince of Yugoslavia. Okay, they don't even have a monarchy or a country anymore. Okay, yeah, let me. He's still a prince. Do we, have a link? do we have a link to this prince? We do. We do. Let us see this. I will coordinate pro again as we do. Peter Hereditary Prince of Yugoslavia. There's a Wikipedia entry, so it must be true. That's right. <laughs> He's very handsome. He was born in 1980. Is he single? He's single. Do you get any perks marrying into a deposed royal family? <laughs> Titles. I would like to find out that even with that point, I still win. So. Okay, I will give you the point, Raiden. Which means you got six in this round, and... Alina got four. So that means that Alina only won by one, which is important. Correct. <laughs> Raiden has 15 points and Alina has 14 points. You win. No, it's the other way around. Someone wins. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on Anglophies Quiz. This quiz was brought to you by Kaylee's parents. Hey, turn the fucking music down, Kaylee. <laughs> And we'll see you sometime next year when I come up with a like proper quiz and we can like get a guest or something. Like okay. let's see if Clay was free and we'll like put a bunch of Dracula. We should questions do our in. own big fat quiz of the year. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god, we should do like an like a, a, a cross podcasting big yes. fat quiz of yeah. the year. And we'll have uh, Jimmy Carr's laugh just queued up as a soundbite. <laughs> yes, that can be the way to like signal the end of the quiz. There we go. Okay, so this has been episode 51. Thank you, Kaylee, for that edifying quiz. Remember your Eurovision, guys. It will help. Yes. So we will be back at you in the new year. 2016 is finally fucking over. 2016 is almost over. Don't ask what it can do in the next 20 days, because we don't want to know. Mm. We don't. 
You're good, 2016. You can stop now. Please. Please. And one can only hope that 2017 will be less upheaval-y, but I kind of doubt it. But we'll be back at you next month with uh, something new to talk about. Hopefully, God willing, not Oscars So White, the third inning. Oh, God, don't jinx it. <laughs> There's so much to hope for. <laughs> There's so much to hope for. But in the meantime, go see Star Wars because Nazis don't want you to. All right. Have a lovely holiday season of your choice, everybody. And my holiday wish for the world is may you have an adequate amount of the self-medication of your choice. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production. Ha! We're actually working on the headphones on the first try. It's Christmas Miracle. (laughs) It's December 11th. It's a Christmas Miracle, Alina.